Hey everyone, what's up? This is Drew Wilson here with Kieran Flanagan. What's up, Kieran? What's going on, man? Not much, just uh, on a show with you. This is episode number seven of Narwhals. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today we have a special guest, Kyle Bragger. Kyle, what's up? Hey, how's it going? It's going well, man. Going good. Thanks for coming on the show. So, Kyle, um, we brought you on the show because you're a cool dude. You are a narwhal. Um, and just give us a little background on who you are, what you are, and what you're doing these days. Sure, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so, let's see. Where should I begin? Um, <laughs> at birth. Yes, yeah, at start. birth. Well, Camden, New Jersey, 1986, um, 12.42 a.m. Um, <laughs> Dang, man. That's actually true. Uh, I have no clue as to anything else about that, but uh, I think that's a good start. Um, yeah, that's a good effect. So, yeah, I, uh, I guess I started out when I was 11 or 12 or so uh, with Visual Basic 3 and kind of got lost in uh, whatever online tutorials I could find as far as programming went. Um, why I ended up down that path, I have no idea. Uh, it seemed like a neat thing to do. Yeah, that's kind of a different, that's kind of a random thing to start with, I suppose. Yeah, who knows? Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time in front of a computer, which uh, probably was a good thing and a bad thing. But anyway, yeah, so I started there, um, basically been writing code since then. At some point, um, got into the whole internet thing, and uh, yeah, I think... Um, How old were you, you said, when you started Visual Basic? 12, maybe? Something like that, yeah, 12, 13, 11, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, Visual Basic 3, which I acquired somehow. Uh, Isn't it funny <laughs> to think back, like, when you're 12, and you, you're, it's, like, amazing that you could even type on a computer. You're such, at that age, you're such a baby. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's wild to think about it. Especially <laughs> um, to think about, like, what the computer was back then. Like, if this was, like, 90, what, 98 or whatever. Yeah, something yeah, like that. That's not what we're picturing now. That's not what's sitting in front of you right now. No, yeah, it's yeah, one of those different. yeah, one of those giant beige monstrosities. Yeah. Yeah. Um the CRT and here's display. A, yeah. And here's, a, and here's a twelve-year-old kid teaching himself visual basic. If I saw myself at twelve, like making websites, I'd be like, How are you even functioning? <laughs> you have nothing inside of your brain. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what was going on. And it, keep it up. And it wasn't yeah, at that point there was um there was this there was this uh, shell replacement app called Cloud9. Uh, that was a fairly popular thing, I guess, back then. Was like the um, desktop customization community. Um, there was a site called DeskMod, which was popular. But anyway, people would replace uh, Windows Explorer with these custom kind of alternatives. And uh, one was called Cloud9, and was written in Visual Basic, and happened to be. Um, open source in a sense and I basically just rebuilt the app um, probably about a hundred times um, kind of my own my own version of it um, which helped me understand kind of the fundamentals of object-oriented programming for whatever that even meant to Visual Basic uh, 4 sure. or 5 or whenever that was uh, sure. after a year or two but um, yeah I just it was I had these plugins you could you could uh, add to it to customize what was on the I guess it had like a taskbar equivalent or something like that. Anyway, kind of neat. There was theming, so there was a lot of like Windows GDI programming um, and just some really weird, um, yeah, just some really weird stuff. Mostly over my head, but yeah, it helped me kind of understand the 
basics. Were you were you a modder? Like, did you put like a custom um, cover on your PC and like custom fans with LED lights and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> no, you know, it never extend. It never went to the hardware. It was just. <laughs> It was just whatever, whatever it was. I had friends that were like that. Now I thought it was so funny. Yeah. So you were, so you did mostly uh, desktop apps. You were doing these these modifications on things that you could find that were available f- to you. Yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. It was basically like this is neat. I'm just going to try to emulate it and build a copy of it. I never released any of that stuff or anything. It was just. It was there just, was no GitHub. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it I was, did the same thing except on the Mac because I started on the Mac because we never had a PC in the house. Actually, it was always just the Mac. And so I started with like HyperCard and, Oh yeah. And, and using, doing sprite animations and making my brothers and I do, we got into it. We, um, we we're all homeschooled, right? So we knew how to sew. So we sewed up our own Mortal Kombat costumes. And I guess this was probably like 1990. Oh, let's see. How old was that? I think I was 12 or 13. So it must've been 95. Or ninety four, something like that, and uh, so we made our own custom like Mortal Kombat costumes, and then took photos of ourselves with my dad's digital camera, and he had one of the first digital cameras. It's this huge beast, and uh, the the photos turn out, you know, the color's horrible. And then we like brought it into Photoshop. At that time, it was like three, I think, and cut ourselves out and made sprites animations of ourselves, like doing our own moves, like shooting stuff. And my older brother was. I wasn't really into programming at all. I didn't even know what it was. My older brother was. And um, so he like coded all that stuff up and we made like these this little Mortal Kombat game that we fought back and forth. If you guys were on the Mac early at all, I don't know if you were. Do you remember Mortal Pong Bat? It was a Pong game? Uh, no. Uh, oh, it's amazing. It's Pong except you can like shoot harpoons at the other Pong guy and pull him for It's like Mortal Kombat except Pong. <laughs> sounds like a uh, Sounds like an infringement on some IP there. Man, that's both how directions. all that stuff was. Back so I think the, the the most fascinating part of that whole thing is the fact that you sewed your own costumes. <laughs> I ruined my clothes because I, <laughs> I dyed it. I I had to pour dye into the washing machine to dye my because I was reptile, so I had to be green, and so I had to pour dye in there. And then when I did my laundry after that, I ruined a lot of my clothes because I didn't do a, you know an empty load between. Anyways, too much detail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure your mom remembers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, okay, cool. So that's awesome. You started early. What are you, uh, what are you working on these days? Yeah, so I'm co-founder of a site called Exposure, um, which is exposure.co. And it's a photography storytelling product that I started with um, a designer called Luke Beard. Um, you guys probably know him or know each other. Yeah, I would, yeah it's a I would guess. Super, super awesome Pretty project for sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, exposure is great. Um, yeah, so that that kind of came out of this really interesting company that I've been at for the last two years called Elopath, which is kind of an incubator in a sense. Um, our our mission, so to speak, is essentially to create interesting products and try to build businesses from them. And um, it started, I think, late. Mid or late 2011, Jake Ladwick, the guy that was involved with Vimeo, um, College Humor, that whole that whole crew, mm-hmm. basically hired me. Hired um, Pascal da Silva, this really talented animator, and um, oh, yeah. we kind of built a little team. And the whole the whole deal is, I guess, 
in a sense, this narwhal concept, which I'm completely going to uh, use the word <laughs> from now on. But yeah, we're um, licensing it out. <laughs> okay, we can. You can talk uh, terms after the after the podcast. But All right. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a company full of that kind of person and really self directed, and you know you can kind of work on anything that's interesting to you. And um, we built dozens of prototypes of things that we thought might be cool to play around with. Most of them never saw the light of day, as is always the case. There were a few that kind of launched halfway before we really had a good idea of what our process looked like. And I think a lot of the evolution of Velopath has been figuring out how to launch stuff and not just what we wanted to launch. Right. You know, for sure. Figuring out your process. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been crazy to see, to look back at really how disorganized we were um, then and how fine tuned our, our whole thing is now. Um, and so exposure was basically something that Luke, uh, Luke Beard came up with last summer while we were in Berlin, um, prototyped some screens and convinced me to help him implement it. Um, yeah. And ever since then, we haven't really looked back. It went, the process that we kind of have now is essentially somebody comes up with something, they prototype it, they don't spend too much time on it. They pitch it to, you know an engineer or whatever, um, we get something working, see how it feels. And then it goes into this beta phase where it's formal is probably not the right word, but it's definitely very structured. So we kind of wrote like a little almost story, I guess, about this is how the exposure beta is going to go. This is the kind of user we want to target. These are our goals for usage and, and right. All these, you actually pitch it. Yes. Actually, pitch it to yourself. Yeah, we pitch it to ourselves and pitch it to everyone else at the company. Um, How many people are on the team? So, exposure itself is three full time um, and then part time engineer, another part time designer, and then a kind of community support person part time as well, um, who's actually my wife, which is kind of kind of fun. Um, Rad. So we're working out of the. Uh, de facto Berlin office. Yes. Which is just our How many people program. in Allopath altogether? Um, so it's interesting, actually. Um, to answer that question, we kind of have to look at how Allopath evolved in the last maybe like six months. Um, Let's do it. Because I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head right now. Um, so we'll, we'll walk through it together. Um, so exposure <laughs> was last summer. Luke and I basically said, okay, this is really interesting. The beta went really well. I think we had about 150 people in it total. Um, lots of photographers that he knew through his photography work uh, and whatnot. And the beta was successful, and we committed at that point to, we're going to release this as a, as a real product. This is going to be something we'll work on full-time. We'll commit to the next year or whatever it was. Um, we started charging for it in November of last year. So there's basically it's a subscription uh, subscription model with a limited usage free uh, free plan, um, and then at the same time, I guess maybe over 2013, there's another app called Keezy, which is an iOS app that some other guys, including Pascal, um, prototyped and went through more or less the same process. Um, and it's a really fun music toy um, for iOS, so you can record sounds, kind of like a, I guess a soundboard would be a good way to describe it. 
Um, I, I, I saw that just like two days ago, completely on accident through, I think I was looking at, uh, I ended up on the Vimeo channel of Pascal looking at one of his, like, he was talking about like layer, uh, modifications that you could do on like bouncing objects in, uh, after effects or whatever. And then just happened to see that as his, at the, as like one of his other videos and clicked on it and watched it. And now it's a total coincidence that, uh, you're talking about it right now. That's just kind of a, a weird thing. Yeah, he's wild with the animation stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it's been that's been really interesting to see. I think it's got three hundred thousand downloads or something like that. Um, that's cool. So, so Elopath basically was at this sort of crossroads where we we um, we have these two products that are both, by all accounts, doing pretty well and are definitely worth people committing to work on them full time. So Elopath itself is sort of um, we don't really have anything else going on. Uh, so in, in one sense, Elopath itself has really no employees, but Kizi has um, a few and Exposure has a few. And, you know, we're all kind of committed full time to growing these as businesses. But um, at one point, I think we were up to eight people or so um, over, nice. over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been super fascinating and, I mean, completely up my alley as far as what I couldn't have couldn't really come up with a better situation for someone like me who wants to, you know, explore building ideas and, and seeing what happens. Um, yeah. and it's cool that it worked out too. That's kind of another, that was a, that was a big question mark, I think to some degree. I mean, you all, you always want to believe, of course, we're good at what we do, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, there's nothing is a, is a sure bet, but it's been really exciting to see two things actually come from this yeah. that, that seem like they're going to do really well. So it's kind of a cool, I feel like, uh, you know, certain people are just kind of wired that way. I feel like to be builders and that's kind of a sweet little sweet spot, I think where, uh, you get to build and you get to build continuously and you get to build different things. Uh, at the same time, you're kind of surrounding yourself with like other really smart people who overlap your skills quite a bit in a good way, but then also have strengths that you can't even touch uh that way when i feel like when you're like pitching things to each other you're actually hearing the right sort of feedback from each other uh and it's kind of cool if everyone's mentally in the same place if everyone's kind of wired that same way uh you could I, I would imagine you could do some really fun really cool really quick provable stuff whether whether or not like you're saying that that guarantees a success it, it certainly does not but um if nothing else it sounds it sounds very uh, rewarding in like a uh, a, a mental uh, a mental way, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, a lot of us. I think actually the whole company is one giant Venn diagram as far as people that have <laughs> right. worked with each other before and known each other in the past, and um, you know that is especially helpful at creating an environment where it's just it's all everything's good as far as constructive criticism, and we can just get a whole lot more done because there's really, there's not a lot of ramp up time as far as we've never met or worked together before, you know, let's right. be cautious about our interactions and, you know, that stuff can always happen and, and certainly does happen right. all the time. Or like the weird, the weird feelings that you're stepping on each other's toes and if, where does the handoff point happen here? Like all of that frictional stuff that is, uh, if you can avoid that sweet. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We just kind of got right to business. Um, but yeah, so, so that was, that's sort of 
where I'm at now with exposure. Um, and, and you said you said Elpath is a funded company. Or are you guys running off of your own Steam? Like I think uh, you mentioned it. I can't remember. Um, Jake, yeah, Jake raised some money at the very beginning. Um, before I think there was even a team or an idea, he just kind of pitched the concept. Silicon Valley, man. <laughs> I think. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. It was. Who knows? I think there's a lot of people in New York that he. Who's connected to as well, but I really don't, uh, okay. don't remember. Either way, I mean, he's certainly got the track record for for people to say, "Okay, we'll pay attention to this." It's right. Sure. It, it is. I feel. I feel like it's a crazy idea, and but in this sort of good, ambitious way. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I always think it's got to be so hard to be one of the VCs. You know, whether it be New York or Silicon Valley, who isn't like a who isn't like a veteran um, because, or even hasn't been in this industry in the past because you don't know who's good, right? And you tend to listen to sales guys. If this guy talks a good game, he must be a good game, you know? And so if you're like a a VC, I would imagine that it'd be very difficult because you have so many people uh, pitching you and you want to be on the bleeding edge. You know, you want to like be risky and, you know, try to get a big uh, return on your money. So, when people bring up these ideas like, yo, I don't even got no team, but trust me, we are solid. And we're going to bring you a good chunk of change if you give us, you know, two, $2 million right now. Um, and I always think it's going to be so hard because there's got to be so many people like, yeah, you know, I just got to do this thing as a VC. And that's why you see all these stories about like these ridiculous, ridiculous ideas getting funded, <laughs> like <laughs> big time funded. And it's just like, man... Send some of that to the smarter people. Like, why are you going with these ideas that are just so <laughs> overdone? And yeah, I don't know. It's I just imagine it because you know we can always we can always uh, nag on the Silicon Valley, but I just imagine it's got to be so hard for the VCs to you know to even have the ability to discern what is good and what is not good because there's just so much of it and so right. much of it is you know sales guys. Yeah, and then especially with like when certain things just reach a saturation point, right? Like you know, t- 2012, all the all the money was getting pumped into, or 2011 or whatever, getting pumped into you know these new social apps, and yeah, there's got to be something here. And then by the end of the year, like all VCs are just tapped, both like financially and mentally. Yeah. Like there's no more money that going into social apps because nothing is is returning. I thought they were going to be solid because their website said something about growth <laughs> hacking. <laughs> they pointed to Facebook as an example. Yeah, it's a, it's. A, I don't envy them, but at the same time, like you're saying, on the other side, it's easy to get frustrated with it when you've when you've been at a in a situation in the past where you're like, why aren't you seeing this the way I'm seeing it? Why look at that one? Why'd you why'd you give them that much? And, yeah. Uh, it's probably a, a tricky thing on both sides. Geocentric social network for business working dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it's interesting. I mean, I personally don't love the idea that it was, I feel like there's sort of this underlying expectation of of startups that you must raise money because that's simply the way that it's done. Um, totally, totally. But you know, that being said, I think I've developed a more um, more reasonable outlook lately of you know if it makes sense it makes sense if not you know oh 100 percent like every big company that's around at some point took on money I think I think like what you said 
for me, that's the biggest issue is, is it's the de facto. It's like, I'm going, I have this idea before I do anything, I need to go try to raise money or see about how I can do that or get an MVP out or whatever. Um, and I think people, people try to put immediately try to put all the risk onto somebody else, whether it be, you know, co-founders, they just want to be an idea guy. So they put all the risk on somebody else, spend all your time. (laughs) I'm going to get all the upside or, or they go and try to raise money first and put all the risk onto, you know, VC or whatever. And I guess if you build a bunch of companies already, maybe that's fine. But if you're like, if this is like your first thing that you want to take big and you're not taking any risk, you're not going to learn any lessons. And I think that (laughs) that is so evident because people will write blog posts about how hard it is being uh, a co-founder, a CEO or something like that. And, you know, how they made mistakes like raising money early or something like that. And then they'll go and do the same thing again, right? It's like you could literally go back in history and like look at your two situations like you haven't learned anything, even though you wrote a whole blog post about how much you learned, you know what I mean? Um, it's, I think it's that. It's the fact that people aren't taking on risk and, and feeling the loss when they lose, you know what I mean? And, and that changes you and that can actually um, make you change in the future. And so, I don't know, I just wish more people would, you know, if you got an idea, build it, figure it out on your own. See if people like it, and then if if it starts working out, then then at that point you got something, and uh, and then and then go try to get funding. I don't know if that was a de facto way. I think people would be better off all around. But yeah, I definitely I definitely don't think VC is bad. I think it's like I said, like every big company out there is at some point got it. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, some things, of course, if there's you know hardware involved or physical inventory right. or something, yeah, maybe you need some capital up front, but. For a lot of like the um, the consumer web stuff that I think we all kind of end up working around, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that seems like, um, well, you know, it's interesting with Elipath even, it was really nice to have the cushion of this umbrella company is supporting these R&D projects basically, so in that sense it's less risky, but it is still a big risk because we could have you know, 18 months of failures and never really figure out that one thing that is potentially a bigger business. Um, but also too, I mean, it's like you, like you said you, you're, yourself, like the people on your team have already done all this stuff before you've done this uh, before. So, uh, it's not, I mean, you, what I mean is you bootstrap before, like you've, you've done things on your own and tried them out and see how they went. So it's not like there's inexperience at the helm. It's yeah. just when there's inexperience at the helm. <laughs> Well, you know, the, 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 under the guise of experience. Yeah, totally. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned is it's, there's a, I know the whole, you know, the whole party line of it's cheaper than ever to build web apps and, and launch, you know, launch apps and whatever, um, which is true. And I definitely believe that still. But something that I came to believe is it's still a fairly big pain in the ass to get product out the door. I mean, there's just so many little things that I think even I still fail to take into account sometimes, setting up all the different, you know, uh, infrastructure as a service accounts, whether it's the email infrastructure or whatever else, um, you know, hosting stuff, uh, Stripe, if there's billing stuff involved, there's so many little pieces that you end up moving parts uh, that you end up having to deal with, which 
I don't want to go through that effort if I don't even have a viable product to begin with. And I feel like, you know, this whole idea of this is just the way we do it. We raise money as the, as the default is another example of, I guess, putting the cart before the horse in a sense where see what you've got before you go through the effort of, totally. of all, you know, signing up for all of these different services and getting it ready for production before you decide whether raising money is the right thing. I mean, there's, you can get pretty far with something that isn't, isn't super polished and isn't necessarily production ready in the sense of, yeah, this can handle, handle a huge launch and massive success. I mean, I think there's a lot of premature scaling that happens, but for sure, the point being getting back to the basics and just focusing on building something thoughtful and that, solves a real problem. Um, feels like that gets lost in the, uh, in the shuffle too much. Right. Everyone's quick to quick to get ahead of themselves. I feel, I mean, not everybody, but often people are, are getting ahead of themselves. Like you're saying the horse in front of the or cart in front of the horse, whichever one's the, whichever one's the bad one. Yeah. Some the like, horse in front of the person, horse, <laughs> a person somewhere off the side of the road. The, someone said to me once too, it's like the only thing worse than not raising not being able to raise money is raising bad money and it's like and it's totally true like you you can raising money is not always great like you can get in some serious uh muck if you if you raise bad money on bad terms and you haven't even proven the thing you were you, you set out to prove now all of a sudden not only are you you know diluted your ownership of of your idea is significantly diluted but uh, depending on like terms, you know, this, the, the people who are invested now can call the shots. They can, uh, say no, they can nix sales, uh, you know, potential exits. If it's not, if it doesn't return enough, they'd much rather just lose their investment than not make a big enough return. So it's like, you can, you can get into a really bad situation if you take, uh, bad money on bad terms at the wrong time. Uh, so it's not necessarily something that you need to jump into immediately uh, just to, to, to get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think the biggest lesson to be learned here in general is that there's really no right way to do any of what we do. And I think right. we're, our industry is one of everyone wants that, everyone wants that tweet-sized wisdom and the, you know, the medium post. And, I mean, I wrote a medium post once that did – did fairly well as far as uh, the number of people who read it, and it was all about you know work less, blah blah blah. Um, but they want the ten steps to success, you know. I guess medium has become somewhat of a of a. I guess it seems like synonymous with this is where people go to talk about problems that don't actually exist that feel like problems, or I, I don't know how to describe it, but. For some reason, right. it's it's this meme that that exists now, or a trope, or whatever the word. I think the word you're looking for is complaining. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I feel like sure, yeah, that too. But um, it seems like it's it's used in a in a negative sense. And uh, anyway, a little bit of a digression, but yeah, I feel like everyone is just looking for that sort of magic bullet that's going to solve all their problems and and. There's really no right way to do any of this stuff, and it's all trial and error. And I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is that you have to make your own path and try your own try right. your own hand at everything, and not do something because someone else told you to do that and it worked for them. And um, 
you know, yeah. aside from probably not working, uh, I feel like it's really hard to truly learn something when you're not really using critical thought anyway to get somewhere. It's more like, well, I just read this, that this person did this, so I'm just going to do it too. And so when it, you, you yeah, didn't really go through that process of arriving to that solution that they probably thought about and, and arrived at. Yeah, you could walk the same path and arrive at the same solution, but the difference is now you have the experience. You did it. You actually gained that level of knowledge uh, yourself. And we've said that on the show before too. Like we're not, what are we if not the sums of our own experiences? Like you just you just have to do it. You just have to go try it, learn it, and then in a, you know a year or two years or five years or ten years, you'll be better for it having done it. Indeed. And if you're listening to this podcast, take the idea out of your mind that it needs to be easy because it doesn't need to be easy. Just like software, when something's hard, it means it's hard to reproduce. And that's good for you if you have a business built around it, right? Because then you're not going to have as many competitors. And in the same in business, if it's hard to get things going, that's going to be great for you because it's not going to be as many people want to do it. Imagine PayPal in the early days. There was no online payments. They literally had to break down castle walls just to get the ability to have payments online. And now it's so much like Stripe had a way easier time because of PayPal, right? And because of everything that came before it. But there is still nobody that competes with PayPal, not a single company that competes on a global scale because it's hard. And they are so set up because it's hard. And so if you want something long-lasting, I would say get the idea of trying to make it easy out of your mind and embrace the fact that it's good for things to be hard because then it's better for business and it's better for you. You get to this awesome experience, even though it's, it is difficult and you have to stick with it and it's discouraging and all that kind of jazz. But I don't know. If people did that, I think we'd have better stuff. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, there's a lot of fast follower um, things that seem to come out. You know, right now it's everyone wants to, what's the new thing? It's the Snapchat clone still, right? Are we still in that phase? The, the <laughs> I think that's going to go on for a while. Yeah, ephemeral photo sharing or whatever. Um, before that, it was right. just Instagram for X. Uh, I don't know. It just feels, it's disappointing because there's so much talent out there and that's not to say that every single thing you ever build in your life has to be this profound, um, life-changing uh, business or success or whatever, but it just feels like a little disappointing to see people who are obviously so talented spending time on things that are... Yeah, I guess it's like the, it's the temptation to build for other people rather than build for yourself. When you build for yourself, you always have these unique little things coming out. If you're building for other people, um, then you're kind of like... There's, you're not in it, you know what I mean? Your take is on it, but it's not you, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. In the past, you made something called Forest. Yes. Yeah, yes. remember Forest? Yes. How long ago was that? Was that 2010? Um, was that earlier? I started working on it in 2009 sometime. Nine. And it went through a number of really weird iterations before the initial version with other people using it was online, which I think was the end of the year or so, 2009. And so anybody who doesn't know Forrest, can you, can you briefly explain what it was? Yes, it's been many things over the years. Um, <laughs> it, in, its, in its prime, it was uh, this developer-designer community that 
ended up being very focused around critical feedback and just trying to help each other get better at their craft. Um, Mm -hmm. It started out as more of this casual place to share what was interesting to you. For instance, I found this cool Ruby library when I was building such and such last weekend, or here's some progress on my side project, or here's something I learned when I was setting up payments or whatever it was. Um, it was super casual. Um, but yeah, it, it evolved into this really interesting place where people were sharing progress on projects and some really pretty deep, uh, elaborate discussions about design feedback and product feedback and whatnot ended up happening. Um, yeah, it feels, man, 2009 was what, four, five years, six years ago? Five, yeah, five, five years ago. Crazy, crazy. It is crazy. And it, that was you by yourself building it, like the first versions? Yeah, it was me until basically about a year in. Um, yeah, nine nine months, a year, something like was that. Was that your first like product you launched, or had you made more before that? Um, that was the first thing that I built that, built that really ended up doing well. Um, I built... I built a bunch of stuff before that that never really went anywhere. I was involved with a, a friend of mine in 2008 or so with a locally famous startup called Brick-A-Box, which was probably more famous for its, its uh, I don't even know how to put it. it was, pizza? It, Sounds yeah, like pizza. It was, um, it was kind of a build-your-own social network tool, kind of like Ning or something, but... Um, we wanted to give anyone the ability to say, I can create my own YouTube for my, my cat, my cat aficionado group, or we can create like a, like a delicious clone for our book club, or you could kind of build different types of networks around the content, not just a forum with, with threads and posts and whatnot. Um, but it was, I think we kind of built a solution for a problem that nobody really had. Um, sure. but, uh, yeah, in New York at that time when the, Texting there was still super small. We kind of uh, everyone everyone knew everyone else, and it was. Uh, I think if you ask some of the folks who who were around then, they'll all probably chuckle about it. But uh, anyway, yeah, Nate Nate, my uh, co-founder at the time, um, ended up now is the co-founder of Picture Life, which is another uh, photo company that we're uh, we're fans of. But um, and he was a he was a forest investor as well, so everything everything worked out there. But lots of good lessons learned as far as um, co-founder relationships and and mm-hmm. so forth. That was the real, that was the first the first first thing that I got involved with as far as startups. But yeah, forest forest was the first thing that actually I'd raised money for, and it was only it was like two hundred thousand bucks or something, super small, just because I couldn't bootstrap it anymore, and I wanted and needed to add. Um, and that was Gary Vaynerchuk, is that how you say his last name? Yeah, so it was Gary and, and AJ. Um, his brother invested through VaynerMedia, their kind of brand consulting company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little later on, I raised money from 500 startups and a couple angels um, to round out the very long seed round. Um, basically, yeah, because I couldn't afford to bootstrap it any more than I was already um, needed a full-time engineer in addition to me because I was doing engineering, the initial design, um, later hired a, a designer as well. So 
yeah, things just got crazy when it started getting more popular. Um, but yeah, I did that basically 2009 through 2012 or so. Um, lived and breathed that community every day for three years. Wow. And then it, you ended up selling it, right? Yeah, I ended up selling it um, in 2012 to the company that runs Creative Market and Color Lovers. And um, yeah, it was Zerb. Uh, Zerb. No. So, so the funny thing is, they sold it later that year to Zerb. So Zerb owns oh, okay. it. Zerb shut it down, actually, which is super sad. Um, so you sold it to Darius? Yeah, so Darius. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, no way. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so they, they acquired it. And then Keith, our designer, and I left um, probably, a little, I don't know, a couple months in. It, was, it wasn't really intended to be a long-term, like we stay on and run things. They wanted to take stuff over. Um, right. I think, you know, mainly I sort of lost, I lost sight of where it was going and what it was and felt like I wasn't the right person to lead it at that point, um, which is an incredibly hard and very emotional, uh, realization to come to, um, especially having put everything into it for the last three years and, um, you know, seeing it grow from nothing into, I think at, when I left there were 50,000 people using it or something like that. Um, cool. but yeah, it was just, you know, we talked to, talked to a couple bigger companies when we were dealing with acquisition stuff and really I just wanted to see it go into capable hands and I knew those weren't, that wasn't going to be me. Um, so did you, you wanted to sell it? Is it something that just kind of came up organically and then you started looking into it or did you have the mindset like, okay, maybe it's time that we pass the torch? I mean, I had never, it never even crossed my mind until almost the very end um, to, that it would be something that would be acquired or mm-hmm. um, even raising money hadn't been, because I really didn't know. You know it, was, it was my first foray into something I made because I wanted it to exist turned into um, a pretty thriving community and even an interesting, albeit very small business. Um, I mean, crossed into the five-figure a month recurring revenue um, towards the end of, of when I was there. So, you know, it's not like it was, it was just kind of not making any money either. Um, but all these things were brand new to me. Um, running the business, being the CEO, being the you know, lead product person, com- community manager, wearing all the hats, uh, so to speak. But, um, yeah, I think it was probably in retrospect, almost certainly burnout to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just felt like the right thing to do for the good of the community was get it into hands, into capable hands and, um, yeah, pass the torch, as you said, make sure that my own kind of, I don't know if it's failing or not, but my, my position wasn't going to be of detriment to the community. So. Yeah. And then Zerb got it. And then you said they shut it down recently. Yeah, so Color Lovers or Creative Market, I guess when they started, when Creative Market started heating up, um, which is an amazing product, uh, so it's no surprise that it was doing so well. Um, I think, I guess externally, my guess is that it just made sense to kind of focus on that, which I would have done the same thing probably. Um, so Forrest and 
um, I guess their other properties kind of ended up taking a back seat to, to a degree, which, yeah, I mean, creative markets looks like it's doing fantastically. Um, yeah, they went through YC with that one too. Yeah, and they, they just got acquired uh, last... By Autodesk. Yeah, in, in January, right. So anyway, so they sold Forest to Zurb. Zurb, um, yeah, they became the, the maintainers. And then they just, I guess, shut down. Yeah, shut down is an okay term. Um, they, they turned it into a different brand with a similar focus. So Forest in name is dead, but I guess what they're trying to do with, I think it's called Tavern or something, is kind of in spirit what Forest oh, yeah, was. Right. But uh, yeah, Forest itself is is no more, unfortunately. Zurb Tavern, huh? I I'm sure, so I'm sure that's a little emotional, even though you sold it and you passed the torch to seeing it. Uh, not only seeing what they did with it, making their own decisions with it for a couple of years, but then ultimately closing the doors has kind of got to be a, a weird feeling. Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone wants to believe that the acquisition is going to work out just as as planned. And, um, you know, of course, once once it's not yours, it's not yours. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely emotional just to see it go away. It was around for fairly long time in, in internet years. Um, and certainly, I mean, I made tons of friends through the community. Um, I think, I mean, I met, that's how I met Pascal. That's how I met Luke Beard. That's how I met, um, even some friends in Berlin. Uh, I mean, I can't even keep track of, uh, uh, you know, the number of people that I met through that, through that site. Um, right. But yeah, there's just, yeah, I mean, of course, something that you cared about so much, it's terrible to see when it gets shut down, but it's sort of inevitable for anything, you know. It's just a matter of how long it takes, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, sure, I mean, I had the best intentions for it, and I think, um, you know, again, it's not wasn't mine anymore, so sort of yeah. have to accept no, totally. whatever yeah, it's, happens. It's a super cool story, though, to hear, like, you know, making something that you want to exist, and then it ends up being something that you're able to spend your time on for so long. That's pretty cool, you know? Yeah, totally. A lot of, t- a lot of times people like put their heart and soul to something and it lasts, you know, a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and the other big with thing... Ne- with- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the other kind of big thing with, with the community angle is it made me realize that, you know, sometimes going back to the raising money thing, sometimes the right thing for a product isn't to raise money for it. Um, and again, you know, the seed round we did was so incredibly small in comparison to what people are raising as seed rounds now. I mean, like a tenth even of what of what that might be nowadays. Um, but yeah, I mean, community stuff is certainly tricky and th- there's a lot more, it's a lot more roundabout or at least it felt like that in terms of um, building a business around it as well. Um, but yeah, it was a, an incredible experience either way. Um, so yeah. who knows? I, I really do, uh, you know, when, when I saw Zerb sort of shut it down, I really started getting very, uh, nostalgic. I, I really do miss the early days when it was that sort of casual, this is just, you know, some, some colleagues, some friends, whatever, sharing interesting stuff in their world is 
developers, designers, product, product creators. Um, but yeah, so for us was for us was the big one, and then as far as other stuff in the in between, um, the other notable thing I guess that I've worked on is called ThingList, which is an iOS app. Um, I made at Path last, I guess in early 2013. Mm-hmm. Another kind of like one of this one of this app to exist. Never built an iOS app before. Kind of dug in and uh, figured it out as I went. But um, yeah, it's basically solving my own problem of I just want a really easy way to remember something uh, someone recommends to me, like a movie, a place to eat, um, a book, whatever. So you can add you can add uh, things, and I think there's like nine categories. Um, yeah, like bar, book, food, idea, movie, music, blah blah blah. So. Yeah, so that was uh, Pascal and I worked on that for a couple weeks. Got a really simple version in the App Store, and I think to date it's been downloaded about 154,000 times or something like that. Nice. Which is like also unbelievable um, to see. It was initially $1.99. I think we probably think maybe like 20,000 downloads from that. Um, and then we made it free. And the day we made it free, um, more or less because exposure was heating up and there wasn't really anything going on as far as, you know, can Thingless become a self-sustaining business? Probably not in terms of it being at a company with lots of employees and everything, um, right. which is kind of what we had to think about with Allopath. But, yeah, the day we made it free, I think it had, like, 80,000 downloads. I guess there's a bunch of bots and um, various websites that track pricing changes for iOS apps. And so when something goes from paid to free, like hundreds of thousands of people that are subscribed to these feeds get notified of it. <laughs> um, it's Yeah, it's the strangest thing. Like all of a sudden there's all these weird... Um, I won't spend my money! Well, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that was always interesting to think about too. But yeah, there's all these like um, bot tweets in Twitter search uh, from various sites. But yeah, it's, uh, I still use it every day. Um, lots of fun stuff as far as learning about the lovely intricacies of the app store and that whole process mm-hmm. and um, that old chestnut. Yeah, it's rad when you can make something yourself and then you continue to use it. You know, there's, all the time. there's no better. There's no better sign is when you continue to use your own apps. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's. Uh, I feel like that was it was. A bit of a fluke because we got featured a couple times by Apple, which I undoubtedly helped us get the kind of exposure that we got um, and the, the user the user base that it has now. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's some cool news coming with Thingless. Actually, I can't say anything about it yet, but um, shh. Oh, it will be quiet. It will uh, hopefully be. It will hopefully be uh, something I can mention. In the not too distant future, it's going to be turned into a milk dispensing app. <laughs> it's it's yeah it's well I was thinking about doing Airbnb for cats like cat rental so maybe yes yes I don't so know you if actually it, rent out your cats yeah exactly what if what if people started getting so uncreative with their products that they stopped naming them and just called them literally Airbnb for cats dot yeah everything's <laughs> like stuff a, like that. <laughs> You just name things the metaphor that they are. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I feel like there, 
through, we've been through some naming trends in the last five years or so. Um, I feel like oh, yeah, there's always trends for sure. I feel like we're back to the name is just what the thing is, which is pretty cool. But, you know, as far as search results and everything, if it's a common word. Yeah. Ex- like, like when Parse came out, trying to search anything about uh, Parse yeah. is the worst. Such a pain. <laughs> yeah, Parse, that's I mean, the biggest. One of the things with Sketch, too, is the hardest, it's the hardest thing to search for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at least yeah. with Photoshop, it's like Photoshop. Um, right. Pretty, pretty well, it unique. also predated the freaking internet pretty much. Well, <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> exposure. Hey, great English word, but good, <laughs> right. luck, good luck trying to search uh, Twitter or anything like that for it. Um, and I think with trademark law also, I don't think you can trademark common yeah. words. Or you, remember, like you remember when, uh, when, it was, when the web was called Web 2.0 and there was always the shine on all the graphics, everything had to be shiny? Oh, yeah. And, and everything was named with an L-Y at the end. I mean, it's still a little bit today that still happens, but it was just like everything was L-Y. Things away, and then the next one was all the vowels were stripped out of the words. Yeah, well, like Twitter was like that at first. It was like T W T T R at first. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I um. Yeah, speaking of ly, I built something called Streakly probably a little before Forest, and something that I've noticed in myself a lot is that I fail to always be able to see past a certain point with a product where I think others obviously are successful in doing so. Um, but I inadvertently built Lyft, that, that goal habit app. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, but this was in 2010, and this was, this was web. I mean, iOS, I had no concept of something probably being a, a valid iOS app to try to build. So this was just a simple website, but basically the same thing. Um, add goals, you can check them off. You can build streaks as you complete them consecutive days. You can cheer on other people and... Um, that's cool yeah but it was it was streak.ly so a little streakly streakly yeah um yeah, every everything had to be ly back in that day i bought the i bought the domain name truly <laughs> so drew.ly <laughs> <laughs> now it's crazy it's crazy looking for domain names now because there's so many of these new extensions like dot oh yeah the new club level, like our narwhals dot yeah yep. dot berlin dot Whatever I mean. Yeah, we're not we're narwhals cool. Exactly. Yeah, I was surprised to see that Twitter already picked up on all those new ones, and you know, auto convert them to domains. Well, they they ain't lagging behind. It's you probably useful. You gotta, you gotta snatch them up. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Well, I think we're at the end of it here. Is there any anything else you guys want to say at the end? No, I think that's it. I mean. Yeah, it's been an interesting, uh, multifaceted conversation. I appreciate the uh, the invite. Indeed, yeah. it has. Thanks for showing up. Yeah, thanks for coming on. That was, it's cool to see and getting a little bit of behind the scenes on. I mean, I feel like a lot of people know know of Forest. A lot of people know Exposure. Their Exposure is beautiful. It's cool to hear, uh, you know, kind of the story behind it. And um, yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate it. Um, for sure. Yeah, the thing you know, the, I guess as a parting thought, the. The thing going back to the burnout a little bit. Um, I know this late lately. There's been this whole kind of you know depression slash um, everything isn't always uh, what, what's the what's the word killing it or whatever. You know, everyone always says, "Oh, we're killing mm-hmm. it." Um, 
that was probably the biggest takeaway from from anything I've done professionally so far as it was really important to have you know advisors and friends and family that I could open up to about that stuff and really just acknowledging that that was the problem um, and not trying to sugarcoat it or you know push through it mm-hmm. or whatever and um, yeah I'd be happy to see more people kind of owning up to yeah things aren't always actually you know we're not always killing it sometimes things can suck in this industry and um, you know for, sh- for new, sure new people coming into building their first product you know I think it's important to not have the misconception that everything's just going to be super easy and success is just a couple of keystrokes away. Um, you know, this stuff is hard and it can get, get grueling, but it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's important to, to maintain focus and remember that it is just the internet after all. And there are much more important things to, to kind of worry about. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, t- I totally agree. Yeah. Like, like I was saying before, like don't expect things to be easy. Like things are going to get hard and not necessarily technically hard. Of course they will be at sometimes, but I mean, just emotionally hard when you're, if you continually try to make something and, and have it be successful, whatever that means, and it isn't successful to your standards that you keep pushing through, it gets harder every time, you know, because time goes on and it gets, it gets harder because you want, you want something and you're not getting it, you know, but that is in any industry. And like I said before, like I remember reading some co-founders medium post where he was complaining about how hard it is to be a, a CEO and be a co-founder and, you know, give up all your free time and all this kind of stuff. And I, when I was reading that, just suddenly, like everything that was going through my head was um, scenes of women in Africa and kids in Africa going all day, leaving all day to go get water for the next couple of days and having to walk all that way. And they don't even have opportunity to do anything like be on the internet and try to make a business because they literally <laughs> be have to walk, you know? And I'm like, and I was thinking, I'm like, gosh, man, I wish people had perspective. Like, cause you, it doesn't matter if you're in the internet industry or whatever industry you're in, when you're trying to build something and you're an entrepreneur, you get so head down into things. You don't have perspective on the rest of life. And I think it's compounded when you don't, when you're not married and if you don't have kids, you know, you don't have like this family that's always, you know, grabbing for your attention. If you're just a single person by yourself, you don't have that pulling you away. So you're always, you know, focused on what you're doing and it can be very hard to get your head up and look around and be like, um, actually my life's freaking awesome. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, totally. I think that's a good way to think about it. Perspective is important. Totally, totally. So as hard as these co-founders have it, it's really not that hard. <laughs> it's a worthwhile It's hard. just mentally difficult to push through this thing and emotionally. That's all it is. It's not like actually hard. It's just, you just got to get past the mental stuff. Well, it's all relative, I guess. I mean, yeah. hard, yeah, hard is all, is all a relative thing. But anyway, thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Yeah. yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on, and we will see everyone on the next Novels episode. See you guys later. See you guys.